Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, and thank you for joining us on Three Women, Three Ways. We've got kind of an interesting show today, I think, you know, as our topics have continued over the, the months. We've talked a lot about what happens in court and uh, when you're talking about custody or divorce. And uh, we've, we've certainly heard it from the standpoint of, of people who are not happy with decisions that are made in courts. But today we have a judge, a practicing judge, who's with us to kind of explain to us what the thinking can be on the part of the judge. We have with us um, Judge Angela Arkin. She works in uh, Colorado Family Court, and um, she is uh, uh, quite, I would say, prominent um, because I actually did a, a Google search for her, and there's all sorts of people complaining about you, Judge Arkin. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, both men and women uh, are complaining about her, which probably means, you know, somewhere along the line she's doing something right. Um, the Some of the information that I garnered just from the um, Internet, which, you know, take it or, as it is, um, so my case was in front of jo- Angela Arkin, and I'm a male, was accused of everything in the book, and she ruled in my favor. And I'm looking to take my daughter's mother back in front of her soon, looking forward to it. Love, Arkin. Now, that's a man who's happy with you. Angela Arkin, 18th District, uh, Judicial District Division, da-da-da-da, has ruined my grandson. He's failing in high school and is missing classes, yet she requires him to stay with his father, who has lied to the court about his education, welfare, and well-being. Um, Judge Arkin is an avid father's rights judge. She told me that there is no law in the state of Colorado giving parental rights to women. I'm quite sure she was taken to the mat for that one. Um, controversy. <laughs> you know, if everybody's unhappy, does that mean, you know, that, that generally it balances out that there's, there's objectivity there? What do Judge Arkin welcome, and thank you for being thank on you. the show. Yeah, <laughs> this is probably not going to be the most comfortable seat you've had. Um, I would like to just point out that if you'd like to join us, our phone number is 646-378-0430. That's 646-378-0430. Judge Ark and I have done a lot of thinking about how we could, would, we could format this show, and I think it comes down to two things. One is people's expectations of what will happen when they go to court. And I'm not talking about the minute-by-minute behavior that's going on in court. I'm talking about people who think that, and there's a lot of us out there, who think that if you go to court, that means you're going, somebody is going to provide just and fair decisions for you. When, in fact, the um, rules that the judges operate under, I mean, hopefully they turn out to be fair, but, in fact, there are differing expectations for the rules for the judges to make decisions upon. Am I right? Yes. Yes. Okay. And courts, go ahead. Go, you know, go ahead and tell us about that difference, that difference between, um, you know, fair and just and right and operating under the laws of, that apply to the court? Well, the court hopes to be as fair as possible and as just as possible, but everybody's perception of what's fair and just is different. Um, mm-hmm. Everyone who comes before the court who is in a conflict situation has a very different perception than the other party as to what's fair and just. And in addition, the judge's perception of what's fair and just is different than either party's generally. Courts only see... And why why is that? Why why is it that the judge's opinion might be... uh, what I'm trying to get to is that, you know, there's a difference between fairness and, there's, uh, and, and following the laws. Right. Right. Well, and, and following the laws and the rules is very important to judges because that's how we are required 
to look at situations and it's how we're required to enter orders. Um, we have to comply with the law. We're not able to simply do what we think is right and fair and ignore the laws that require people to do certain things to present themselves to court. So the process actually matters. And if someone comes to court and they've decided that they don't like a court order that's been entered prior to them coming and they violate that court order, what the judge is going to be looking at is someone who doesn't follow the rules. Um, just an example, generally when we're looking at what uh, custody cases, the best interest of the child is pretty much the standard everywhere that the court looks at. And many states look at the ability of one parent to encourage the relationship between the child and the other parent as a component of the best interests of the child. So if a parent has been ordered to participate in supervised parenting time and he or she doesn't bring the children to have the parenting time with the other parent, then they are already choosing not to participate and not to comply with a court order. And the court's going to look at that parent as someone who isn't able to follow the rules. And, and sometimes that fact alone could impact that parent's ability to be the gatekeeper to the child. What happens, though, uh, which is a pretty tough situation and it happens a lot, what happens if the father is actually, and I'm going to say father because, you know, 90% of, of domestic violence is, you know, uh, male on female. Um, so what happens if the mother is ordered to make the child available to the father, but the father is actually hurting the child and the court isn't recognizing that at this point? That's a pretty well, tough decision for a mother to ask it, a mother to just hand over her child to somebody that she knows is actually uh, harming her child. Well, again, um, one of the challenges that judges face is that the person who's making claims has to be able to present evidence of those claims. So if the father is harming the child and um, the mother is certain of it, she needs to make sure that there's some professional who can provide neutral information to the court that the child is being harmed. And that is incredibly problematic, I will say, because especially with very young children, they're not necessarily going to make an outcry. They're not necessarily going to tell some stranger the truth about what's happening. So that can be very problematic. There are professionals who can be appointed by the court and even if someone is indigent or poor and can't afford that professional, the court often has resources to get that neutral third party in there who can observe the child's behavior with the parent who's causing the harm, and that observation can provide significant information to that person about how that parent is interacting with the child and whether there's something wrong there. Um, okay. But that isn't always going to be an easy thing to do. And, you know, in the criminal courts, it's a much more problematic situation because of the rights of the defendant and um, the burden of proof, which is very high. Domestic the family relations, court is, is civil, not yeah. criminal, usually. Yeah. That's um, true, and the burden is much lower. Um, yeah. But there still um, Judge Arkin, probably I, needs to be I also to be want to some... make this point because we're actually getting some callers lined up here, and I want to get oh, to okay. them. That's fine. Um, so when when someone goes to court um, in a divorce or child custody situation, actually in anything, um, they are really looking at dealing with two things that they might not understand or be aware of. One mm -hmm. is um, how the judge looks at things uh, from the standpoint of um, evidence and the laws that are applied here. Mm -hmm. The other point is this whole constitutional issue that parents have a right to parent. 
So when a, a, a person goes into court for child custody and they say this other person is awful, she's terrible, he's terrible, he's awful, he's done uh, horrible things to the child, and the courts still say, well, that person gets you know 50-50 custody. It's hard for people to understand how that can happen, but is that where this whole constitutional interpretation comes in, that a parent has a right to their child, to, to parents? The right to parent really is more in the context of what's called dependency and neglect court or the court where both parents have challenges and the court looks at the possibility of terminating the parental rights of one parent or the other. And that's really where the Constitution comes in. Between two parents in domestic relations court or, or family court, generally you're not looking at constitutional rights because it's really a question of how much time each parent has with the children. And the court is supposed to be primarily focusing on the children's needs, not the quote-unquote rights of the parent. Now, you have to do some balancing there, but as a general proposition, the children's needs are supposed to be ahead of the rights of the parent when you're looking at the difference between the two parents and how to allocate the time between them, the, the custodial time. Mm-hmm. So it, okay. it, it's not as much a constitutional question as it is the child's right to have a relationship with both of their parents and how the parents' past behavior and the parents' relationship to the children and the danger or possibility that there might be some danger in the parenting, how that impacts the amount of time that the court makes findings that each parent should receive. Okay. Judge Arkin, I'm going to take our first caller here. And, okay. Uh, caller, are you there? Hello, caller, are you there? I hear her in the background. <laughs> she's been on hold a long time, so she's probably not ready. Let me put her Hello? on hold again. Yeah. Oh, there. Are you there? No, is, I'm going to put her on hold. I'm going to put her on hold. Oh, hi. Are you there? Hi, is it with me? Okay. You, um, need to turn off your, you need to turn off the sound of your computer. Okay. We're hearing that in the background. Okay. Is, is that clearer? That's much clearer. Better. Yeah. Yeah, that's much better. So, caller, uh, where are you from? I am from Colorado. Ah, okay. And did you have a question or a comment for Judge Arkin? Yeah, I do. I have a couple questions, actually. So, when a parent is coming into the court and demanding for restriction, and the other party is saying, okay, well, I need counsel and the court orders that restriction with no evidence or anything else, comes back with counsel, and it's unfounded. I believe the law in Colorado states that you do get your makeup time and reimbursed all of your cost. So then when well, the court stop, turns now, around is and that de- true? Okay. I'm not sure I understand the question, Judge Arkin. Do you? Okay. Yes. Um, there's a law in Colorado that allows one party with no court intervention whatsoever to make allegations that the other parent is immediately endangering the child. And just the filing of that motion under oath by the parent who's filing that motion automatically restricts the parenting time of the other parent to supervised only. And it's a very unique statute, unlike a temporary protection order, Um, You don't go in front of a judge. You simply file the motion, and the motion by operation of law is supposed to restrict the parenting time of the other parent immediately to supervised only until further order of the court. And the court has two weeks to have a hearing on the question of whether or not that parent was dangerous. So what can sometimes happen is someone can make allegations that the other parent is dangerous and that parent's parenting time is automatically restricted until there's a hearing when the judge or magistrate determines that there's no need for the restriction. And then that person can be reimbursed their costs and also that receive person, makeup the, parenting the one who was time. Accused of, 
that yes. person can be reimbursed, meaning the one who was charged, t- taken, had parenting time taken away? That's correct, yes. Okay. Um, and that's so what right. the caller's talking about. Okay, okay. so the okay. nine months Thank into you, that. Caller. Go, ahead. Go ahead, caller. Yeah. Okay, so nine months into that, when um, that party that's been restricted does have counsel and finds there was no grounds for that restriction, and the court does not follow the law and comply with that statute, and then allows the parents to turn around two months later and again restrict for another year and three months, and the court refuses once counsel has been retained on the second one to hear the matter for a year. Where is this serving the loss and the kids' best interest and supporting some of the statements you've made today of it being an obligation for that court to that that custodial parent is to be supporting that relationship when we can use something as easy as a quick restriction and pull those kids away from a parent for two years and never refund them a dime without any cause of restriction. And at the end of the day, there was no cause for the restrictions both times. Well, obviously the court's opinion of the circumstances are different than the party who was restricted. And that is um, one of the challenges that folks are going to have to realize is that uh, judges are not clairvoyant. They're not all-knowing. They're just people. Uh, They're people put in a position of decision-making because the parents are unable to address the problems and work out the issues together. So the court has to make those decisions. And the black robe only empowers us to decide. It doesn't give us um, the ability to see the past and determine the truth, quote-unquote, we can only rely on the evidence that's presented to the court. And every judge is going to see the circumstances the way that they would see those circumstances as presented based on the evidence presented to them. So judges are just people who are flawed and are going to judge the circumstances the way they see them on any given day in court. And generally, one party or the other is going to be unhappy with the judge's decision uh, in in these high-conflict situations. There really isn't a way to say this judge or that judicial officer, magistrate, whatever, should have done this differently unless legally they clearly had no basis for what they decided. Um, And that's really the standard for review in domestic relations court or in family court is did the judge abuse their discretion or abuse their power or was there evidence presented to the judge that the judge relied on as being the most credible evidence, the best evidence that they relied on in making their decision. And, of course, the person who doesn't think that evidence was true is going to be unhappy if the judge decided based on the evidence they think is false. So, again, it's a flaw that is inherent in the justice system because the justice system, quote-unquote, isn't the kind of, isn't always going to present a result to one party or the other that he or she considers to be justice. And unfortunately, in family court, there's always going to be somebody who doesn't get what they want. Sometimes it's both parents, and sometimes that's the most just decision. But sometimes one parent or the other is going to get a result that he or she is unhappy with. And that's just the reality of the way this all works. And I'm not sure I can offer up solutions to the parent who feels like the court has seen it wrong and has done it wrong other than to appeal to other judges who may or may not also have a more just result in store for that parent. And unfortunately, in Colorado at least, it takes a while. It can take a year and a half to two years sometimes to undo a judge's mistake if a judge made a mistake. And it would only be really a legal mistake, not necessarily um, a mistake in the facts that were actually presented. I think um, 
what we were talking about earlier, Heather, was the the flaws in the system. One of the flaws in the system is that the family courts aren't on a search for truth, per se, um, because truth is just an elusive thing. Everybody's truth is different, and the court has to try and do the best it can with the evidence that's presented to it to determine the most truth. But the court's never, ever going to be able to see the whole truth, and the court's never going to be able to solve completely the problems that people bring unless the solutions are pretty straightforward and and really everybody complies with the court orders. Judge that Erica, doesn't what happen here, but I what go well, ahead. What record well let let's table this question till later toward the end of the show. But um I'm interested in what recourse is available to people that the caller is describing who um who have not been reimbursed and the law says they should be, that kind of thing. If there's a uh, dispute about a judge's decision and some of them, you know, I mean, let's be honest, some of those decisions are can be pretty, you know, outrageous. I'm thinking of that judge in Montana with that rape case, you know, that kind of right. thing. So judges are not flawless. And so what recourse does a person have who's gone before a judge who is not um, fair, uh, who is not objective, and who is... Um, kind of egregious in their decision-making. Um, so I'm going to write that question down, and let's get back to that. Um, caller, are you still there? Yes, I am. Okay. Did so, that help answer your question? Um, actually, no. I feel like it was kind of a sugar-coated answer because when you come before the court twice, back-to-back restrictions where no evidence is presented, you've got the parent that restricted the parent going, well, I don't know. I just wanted them restricted, and the court clearly rules no grounds for this. It shouldn't have happened. And then they're allowed to turn around and do that very same action again without reimbursement, causing a parent financial strain, denying that parent what the law says is, is, is due back to them. And to me, this isn't about ruling in favor of a parent. This decisions of this court was ruling in, should have been based around what has happened to those children in two years of being forced to sit in a restricted environment with healthy, good parents while the records of child abuse with Child Protective Services are continuing to grow. The agency supervising the parent there is also itself reporting the abuse to the county, and nobody's looking at that. And then the parent is allowed to turn around and go, well, now you owe me some child support money. So now you don't get to see the kids at all until you come with the money. And the court allows it. The court declares indigency. I know we talked about getting um, the court has its resources to allow for um, experts to come in and analyze situations, which I believe is, is done through federal funding, taxpayers' dollars. Um, so now you have a court declaring the parent that's been restricted as indigent, but yet coming back and ordering nine months now of jail time because shame on you, you paid to see your kids and you couldn't afford to keep the child support current. And now you go five years without seeing your children whatsoever over some money. And, and you know, the I just heard today the biggest standard and the biggest thing for determining these decisions in a court that serves just and serves law is to put that child first and showing that the other parent supports the relationship. Clearly in the situation, that other parent never supported the relationship. At the time that that parent got custody, the court very clearly said after investigations were done, they didn't know what to do. They were unclear of what to do, but they went ahead and gave custody to a parent that had a history of abuse and then allowed that parent to use the courtroom as a vindictful forum to remove the children from the other parent. Where is that? I, I understand that there's room for error, but when you are educated, that's a lot of error in one case that's before your court for 14 years on a monthly basis. That's like error at every hearing and total willful neglect of the law. Judge Arkin, um, I'm not sure whether this is a case that's before you in court. If so, I don't expect you to come out with an answer. Um, but well, I if, think it, that, if, if uh, it is, Heather, I, I don't recognize it. But it, it's it, not. 
it it doesn't really matter it, it, it what it what um what the caller is expressing is a level of frustration that she has experienced with the court that um you know i mean the remedies that the court can offer are appeal you can appeal to a higher court if you believe that the judicial officer is not um is not fair and is acting in a manner that is inconsistent with his or her duties uh, as a judicial officer. Um, there's a judicial disciplinary uh, um, group in the state of Colorado that you can report a judge to. There's uh, attorney regulation counsel that you can report a magistrate to and make a complaint regarding that individual's behavior. The the challenge is that those bodies only are going to look at did the judge do something that's inconsistent with what are called the judicial canons, the responsibilities of judges to um, be impartial in in certain um, aspects of things, like not having conversations with one party while the other party isn't present and um, not investing money in cases that um, involve the litigants before them, uh, you know, investing money with companies that, um, and hearing litigation in companies where the judge has an involvement, not hearing cases involving um, the judge's friends and family, not hearing cases, you know, those are the kinds of rules <coughs> that these bodies are going to be looking at to determine if the judge violated the rules or not, not whether um, the litigant perceives that the judge completely got it wrong, um, and and that uh, Judge Arkin, I had someone explain this to me, and I think uh, it might make more sense to um, um, you. You have you have your lawyer vocabulary. I don't. <laughs> right, right, um, and I apologize. I don't mean to be. No, 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 that's using fine. Strange language, uh, but, but the way it was explained to me is that you go to court. A judge makes a decision. There right. is no real appeal about that decision. The appeals court only looks at the procedure that was followed. And if there's That's something wrong actually, with the procedure that the judge no. used, then you win the appeal, and they send no, it back. There, there but there really things. is there are two things. There the really is no appeal for the judge's decision as such. Is there? No, no. Of course there is. Um, Okay. There are two there are two aspects to it. One of them is did the judge follow the proper procedure? And 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 that is always and that's really just a big question of did the judge comply with the law and the rules? Okay? Um, that's can the I procedural ask, you, you that's the procedural piece. The yeah. substantive piece that that did the judge do the right thing, the standard is in a in a family case, is there evidence in the record that supports the judge's decision? So if one party or the other didn't present any evidence at all that backs up what the judge decided, then the judge erred. The judge made a mistake. If, on the other hand, there's some evidence on one side and some evidence on the other side, and what the judge did was decide that the one side presented more credible or more believable evidence than the other side, the judge has the duty and the right to decide which side's evidence is more credible. Now, if there was no evidence at all presented that could support the judge's decision, then the judge has to be overturned because that's not a legal and proper decision. But the standard is very general in that regard because um, the, the appellate courts can't sit in the courtroom and watch the demeanor of the individuals who are presenting evidence to the court and the judge, unfortunately, the judge's job is to judge people. And so the judge judges the speakers in the situation and judges whether or not someone's telling them the truth or not and how consistent one 
one witness's statement is with another witness's statement? And is there any documentary proof that's consistent with the testimony, et cetera, et cetera? Those are the things that the court's supposed to rely on in making a decision. And if the court relies on something other than the evidence that's presented, then it's, it's a, an illegal or, or a mistaken decision. However, the judge has to decide which evidence to believe because there are always going to be conflicts in the evidence. And that's the point I was trying to make before about how the judge is not clairvoyant. They're not able to see, quote-unquote, the truth. They have to judge people and judge what the truth of the circumstances are are as it relates to the law that the judge has to apply to the facts to make a decision. And many, many people who walk out of domestic court are unhappy with the decision the judge made because their perception of the the facts and the truth is completely the opposite of the other parties. And so, you know, I I think we as a society really want our judges to be um, to be something other than the human beings that we are. And, you know, m- most judges that I'm aware of try really hard to get it right, but that doesn't mean that we always do. I mean, there, there are times when we make mistakes, we believe the wrong person. When, yeah. Can I just ask, when you talk about procedures, are you talking about the Colorado Rules of Civil Procedure? Uh, the Colorado Rules of Civil Procedure, the um, the Chief Justice Directives, the the laws, many of the statutes related to domestic relations talk about a specific procedure. Um, so those are now these could differ not, from state to state. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Although Washington's law is where Colorado got a lot of its. Um, concepts of parental responsibility uh, or custody, as it's generally called. Um, Washington is what we relied on when we created the parental responsibility statute back in 1997. So, anyway. Now, I just have one more question, and I'll be done. If this is just... um, an innocent thing where it's a judge makes, uh, assessing a situation and judging people and, and moving on and rules of procedure are not being followed, revised statutes are not being followed, 1410 is not being followed. None of that's being followed because a judge is human and errors. Why is it that we're not allowed to record our court hearings? Oh, all court hearings are recorded. No, why is it that the people, yeah, and then we pay to purchase that transcript. Why is it that the people in the courtroom are not allowed to record their own court hearings, especially when they're coming in with thousands of dollars on the table for attorneys? Well, um, because the law in Colorado requires that there be only one official record of the proceedings because different people may choose to edit the record in different ways. And so the record of the proceedings, and I believe this is going to be true everywhere, that proceedings are recorded and the record has to be an official record so that everyone can rely on that one record as being a basis for determining what happened in the courtroom. And, and, and that's not to impugn the integrity of the recorder necessarily, but the court is required to control the record so that there's only one legal record of every proceeding that everyone has the opportunity to have consistently. Right, and so if our courts and our judges are erring, that could also be an error in the recordings as well. Um, The only errors that often, well, the most common error in a recording relates to if the recording equipment in the courtroom didn't function well enough to get the specific words that were being said. Um, So those are the only errors that occur in the recording. Um, The court... You know, it's it's on whenever you walk into the courtroom. The court turns on the record, and 
um, the person who transcribes that record has to be a certified reporter and, and all of that. So um, they, they have certain certifications they have to meet and they have to swear that it, what they recorded and what they transcribed is true. So there, there are many requirements that they have to meet in order to be an official court reporter. Okay. Caller, thank you so much for your questions, thank you. and I wish you luck. Um, we do have a couple of other callers here, so I want to move on to them, uh, okay. if you don't mind. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. Bye. Um, let's go to our second caller here. Caller, are you there? Hello? Are you talking to me? Yes. Yes, I am. Oh, good. Turn down the volume on the show so that you don't get confused because there's we're hearing that in the background. Can you hear me now? Okay. Yes. Um, thank you for calling in. And um, what is your question for the judge? Well, uh, you know, I've been involved within the court system for over 20 years and have asked for courtroom reform. And I have seen multiple, multiple cases, and I'm not just talking Colorado, nationwide and internationally where the courts are not protecting our kids if there's abuse, um, and they make it into, I don't know, a domestic violence issue. It doesn't even come in, but they make it into, an, uh, you know, not in the best interest of the child. But if the parent that is bringing in the abuse allegations brings them in, brings in abuse allegations, the court is awarding custody to that perpetrator because the parent bringing in the abuse allegations is not looking out for the best interest of the child to nurture the relationship with the father and child or the mother and child. So what I'm saying is this is a huge issue that's going on nationwide, and I have proof of it. And I know that um, Judge Arkin has had some of these cases, and I've seen them go the wrong way. And why is it that our judges are not being held accountable for information that's coming in? And there's, it's, there's evidence coming into the court. There's evidence of abuse. But they're listening to social services, or they're bringing in GALs. It's like a money-making industry. All these people are making money, and so they listen to all these people, but they're not getting the real facts. Like what you said earlier, Judge Arkin, you said that you know you may not get all the clear facts, and you may only believe one side, but we've got a child's life at stake here, and you've got evidence to prove that that child is being abused, and there's medical records, and these judges, and I'm not just saying one judge, and I'm not saying... I'm talking thousands of these cases, and and it's nationwide, and it's Colorado has tons of these cases, and I've court watched, and I've sat in the courtroom and watched a case come down exactly the same every time, and evidence being thrown out. So what what is going on with that that we can't hold judges accountable for making these mistakes, or are they ignore? Why would they be ignoring evidence the way they are? Or, um, and then uh, turning around and awarding custody to the perpetrator. The person that is hurting that child is getting custody. Okay, let's give Judge Arkley a chance to respond to that. Judge? Well, um, some of it is going to be uh, making sure that judges are properly trained to understand the complexity of these issues and to understand the harm that's caused when um, there's abuse by a parent on the children, uh, whether that be domestic abuse or um, a parent who has addiction challenges or other kinds of issues, sometimes mental health issues that the parent is unwilling or unable to um, resolve or address and, and get treatment for. Um, there are all kinds of things that people have challenges with that uh, they aren't addressing and are harming kids. But most judges in most states are not necessarily going to come from a legal background that informs them of all the intricacies of these issues. Um, I'll just tell you that it's probably a pretty fair statement that courts are not the best place to resolve family issues. Uh, people who can find alternatives to your traditional judge-court situation to resolve the family challenges, uh, 
that that's really the best way to do it. Um, there's a program right now through the um, the Institute for the Advancement of the American Legal System, and it's through the University of Denver, but um, the Institute itself is really a separate entity, and it has put together a program for parents who are wanting to divorce and get resources to help everybody in the family system that doesn't really go through a court process except minimally. And it, it just, um, at the moment, this process has been created for not high-conflict families because um, they're kind of starting with the model and trying to make it work. But this has been tried around the world in Australia, New Zealand, and other places, um, trying to get help for everyone in the family to address the system in a way that moves everybody forward in the most positive way. The problem is a courtroom is not the best place for that to happen, and judges aren't necessarily the best people always to make these decisions, but that doesn't mean that we're not required to as part of our job. Um, so all of us come in with a different set of knowledge and and an understanding of the complexity of family systems. But the other part of it is the inherent challenge that courts have of finding what the folks who come into courtrooms think is the truth and the inherent challenge that the court has of um, determining that that truly is the truth and not just the truth of one party or the other. And also the perception of how the child has been harmed and the level of harm the child has suffered is not always simple to determine. And the other part of that as well is um, it's not easy to figure out how to fix that harm if there's, you know, if, if somebody can't, let's say, afford the treatment that the child needs, if the parents can't afford the therapy and the treatment that maybe they need, um, if there's not some kind of reunification process available so that the parent can uh, carefully and appropriately reunify with that child in the best possible way. I mean, there are a lot of families who can't afford the kind of interventions that would be best to help people heal and move forward. And well, also, judge, oh, go ahead. Judge, I want to jump in here because I'm looking at the clock and I'm going, wow, where's the time going? Um, but you bring up the point of cost. And that is very, I think it was Oliver Wendell Holmes who said, you know, the, the legal system is accessible, uh, available to anyone just like the Hilton is. Um, right. In other words, it's going to take money. Yeah, you have the right to go there, but you've got to get the money in order to do it. A lot of cases where there's domestic violence, um, the abused person has to represent themselves, and that's always a bad situation um, because unless you are very familiar with courtrooms and uh, procedures and all that kind of stuff, um, I think from what I've seen, um, abused people tend to make an emotional uh, appeal. They tend to make an emotional um, uh, case whereas the judge is not looking at the emotions, the judge is looking at these rules and, um, you know, what we were talking about before. Um, that I see that as a huge issue. You know, yeah, you, you go to court and you try to get uh, custody, and the next thing you know you're going to have to pay for a psychologist, you're going to have to pay for an attorney, maybe two attorneys, you're going to have to pay for evaluations, you're going to have to pay for a GAL. I mean, all of this stuff is geared toward people who have funding and if you don't have the funding, how can you possibly present a case uh, and evidence that a judge will acknowledge? Well, well and, even and if you have the money, it doesn't, it doesn't matter because you can go through hundreds of thousands of dollars and still not come out with the outcome of protecting that child. Because if there's domestic violence going on first, judges aren't looking at the domestic violence. A lot of them aren't. And then, and then when there's abuse of that child, where Judge Arkin is saying, there's evidence coming in with doctor's reports, police reports, tons of evidence showing that these children are being abused, and the judges are ignoring it and throwing it out. 
So th- this is a bigger issue than what we're talking about today, a much bigger issue. And um, I just, I, I, you know, it's kind of touching the surface, what we're talking about now, because yes. bottom line, these cases are happening. And and Judge Arkin has had them in front of her. I know a couple of, of women right in Colorado that lost their children through Judge Arkin. So I'm, I'm not judging. I'm not saying anything. I wasn't at those cases. I've seen their cases. I've seen their papers. I've seen what happened. For no ungodly reasons, they're losing their children. The good mothers, these are good, healthy mothers. These aren't welfare moms. Or I'm not saying welfare moms aren't good moms. Most moms are good moms. But there are bad mothers out there, and there are mothers that do need to be restricted from their kids. But these women should never have been restricted from their kids. And then when there's evidence... Why I'm bringing up the courtroom reform is because there is evidence of these cases, and, and when you're going in and you have hundreds of thousands, I have a mom right now here in Colorado that was indigent and lost her daughter through social services. No real reason. She's been to the Supreme Court twice with her case, and they've overruled and stated that she should have her child back and should reunite her with her child. And this judge here in Colorado in Jefferson County will not give her her child back. It's been two years. She doesn't have the money to continue to fight. She doesn't stop fighting. But we have a huge, huge problem. And women judges need to look at this. Men judges, is it education? I don't know that it's so much education. How much education can one get on domestic violence? If somebody's being abused, they're being abused. If a child's being raped, it shouldn't be in family court. That should be in criminal court, whether you have to prove it upon a reasonable doubt or not. Let's prove it at least. Family court throws it out. You know, I we had a situation here in Washington a, a few years ago where uh, a young woman turned 18 years of, of age, uh, and she filed a bunch of lawsuits against the, uh, the, the people involved in her case because she was, um, her, her custody was turned over to an abuser, uh, a, a man who was sexually abusing her. And her mother had brought evidence to court, but the court did not buy the evidence for whatever reason. And so they placed her in the custody of of this man who was abusing her. And she had to live with that. And the minute she turned 18, she started filing lawsuits against all of the personnel. Now, most of them didn't go anywhere because there are protections for court personnel against lawsuits um, in most cases. However, you know, this, I, I think, Judge Eric, and I think the caller is making a very valid point. The research is indicating that um, uh, more and more custody is going to people who um, really have, the, the other party has evidence, um, but it's being misinterpreted well, or ignored. They're, us- they're using the parental alienation syndrome, which is debunked science, yep. not proven, and it should not be allowed in the court. And and everybody, these judges, I, you go to these hearings, and they're still using PAS. I mean, it, it's oh, yeah. even Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're using it a is, lot, and that's, that's one of my pet peeves. And that is because, um, yeah, uh, Judge Arkin, can you address PAS for just briefly? Well, um, there's a lot of controversy about it. Uh, I see parents not supporting the relationship between the children and the other parent uh, that goes really both ways. Uh, I see plenty of dads who can't support moms. I see plenty of moms who can't support dads. The quote-unquote syndrome has been pretty much debunked. They looked at putting it into the DSM-5 and decided it was not appropriate. Um, But the, the reality is, even in these troubled situations, the studies do show that children suffer when they don't have the ability to have at least some level of relationship with both of their parents. And a parent who is... Even if they're raping them? No, 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 but that's that's really an aberration. That is not a common situation. And again, you're talking about a system that is flawed because people are flawed and judges are people. So working on either legislatively or through the government, some way to make the system more responsive to the challenges that families face and that people are suffering. 
making the system more responsive is really going to be the best answer. Fixing judges to make them capable of seeing the truth in cases isn't likely to be the result of, you know, constantly bringing up the the cases and the situations where it looks from the outside like the judge messed it up. It may look from the inside like the judge messed it up. The problem isn't that um, it's these bad judges. The problem is that courtrooms are not the best place to be solving these problems. And what what a lot of us, a lot of folks do is complain about the courtroom and the judge instead of trying to find better ways to solve these kinds of problems that don't involve our traditional judicial system. Because well, it how isn't. How do you get that out of that? If you're if you're in you're thrown into social services and then you're thrown into the court into civil court and it's taken there, how does a parent get out of that? When okay. You have no there other are there are there are folks okay. who are working on solutions for these issues all over the world, um, and I would suggest places like New Zealand and Israel and some of these places that have come up with systems that are much more responsive to the challenges that families present uh, in domestic violence and substance abuse and and those kinds of things are being addressed in a way that is not so much truth-seeking and blaming and more related to how do we fix this, how do we keep kids safe, how do we move these people forward in a way that is safe for all parties and is able to help these people heal from the damage Judge, that's I'm going caused. to interrupt you right here because I think we've talked about this a little bit and I have a lineup of callers and we're running out of time. So Great. caller, I appreciate your, your um, points and down the road here we're going to be doing a show on CPS and um, yeah. uh, how CPS works and how they... And um, how Judge Arkin... Uh, um, go ahead, sorry. Heather. Pardon? Yeah, ahead, um, but I do want to get to a couple other questions, and if we're really lucky, maybe we can have Judge Arkin uh, come back again. Um, so thank you, caller. I'm going to move real quickly to our other, uh, another two callers or so and see if we can get a couple of questions in there. So thank you, caller. Okay. Have had the judge read my book, Prosecuted But Not Silent, Courtroom Reform for Sexually Abused Children. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Let's go to another caller. Caller, are you there? Hello, caller. Are you there? Hello, oh, dear. Yes, hello. Are you there? Yeah, we're running yes, out of uh, time, so do you have a real quick uh, comment or question for Judge Arkin? I'm calling from Colorado. If this is... Um, hello? Yes. Yes. Uh-huh. We're listening to Hi. you. Hi. Okay. I'm sorry. I didn't have a, a tone to, to notify me that I am actually on, on the call, so I'm very sorry for that. Um, I, I do have a lot of, um, I've been taking notes about a lot of speak about evidence in the court, in the family courts. Um, what is used as evidence as, as far as um, my experience, evidence for one spouse to really just make allegations about the other spouse to gain custody, that um, in itself establishes evidence. Um, how common is that? How easily is that done for one spouse to get involved um, after following divorce, having allegations made against the other spouse? Nothing has been shown. Nothing has been proven. All it is is his words, and the other spouse doesn't have an attorney. And in an instant, a judge has to judge these people these two individual okay. parents. But I think we've got the gist of your question. Um, Judge Arkin, do you have a real quick comment about that? Well, one of the things that is can be helpful is asking the court to appoint someone who's neutral who can investigate the allegations. In addition, at least in Colorado, and I don't know about other places, the um, people can ask 
for some assistance in attorney's fees and costs if there are resources available um, to award uh, someone some some money to get an attorney in certain situations. The court if doesn't I... have money from the state to do that, but if yeah. there's an imbalance in the circumstances, uh, especially in a marriage um, where one party has control of the money and the other party doesn't, the other party can come and ask the court to give them some money to get an attorney to level the playing field. And there's a lot of law in Colorado that allows that request to be made. And if I may also... Okay, thank you that, so much, um, caller. I know that you know we didn't get a chance to go to all of your questions, um, and I apologize for that. But Judge Arkin, do you think you would uh, be willing to, to come back and, and uh, join us again another time? Uh, sure. Happy okay. <laughs> didn't mean to put you on the spot, but actually I kind of did. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I think this is a show... I, I mean, I've got a lineup of callers here who I have not got time to go to. Um, let me wrap up a little bit. And for that, I apologize, callers. And I will uh, arrange maybe in three weeks or four weeks, Judge Arkin, we'll, get, we'll decide that off the air. Um, we'll see if we can get her back in a uh, fairly uh, quick time. And uh, hopefully we can answer some more questions and get to more callers. And I do apologize. The time just has a habit of running out. I want to um, point out a couple of things that I have learned from our conversation today, Judge Arkin. And one of those is that um, when you go to family court, there's a lot of money. There's a whole industry, it seems, around child custody. Guardians ad litem, um, an infinite number of psychologists, psychiatrists, counselors. There's social services. There's... uh, 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 yeah, I mean, there's just no end, of, you know, of, of the people that can be called in to assist with one of these. And, of course, who's ever paying the bill is the one who usually finds the, the – I mean, you can shop for these people. You can guardian ad litem shop to find one that's on your side, more or less. You can, well, the um, court you has can shop to for psychologists. The court has Pardon? to approve the choice of the court has to approve the choice of those individuals. Yeah, and then at least well, I actually went through a guardian ad litem training, and um, you know, and so I'm familiar with that process of the training and of the approval process. And I got to tell you, depending on the court, I mean, there are some very adequate and, and uh, uh, competent people who have been trained as a guardian ad litem, but the court will not uh, take them for one reason or another. So um, they have the, to say the, what the, the court wants big point on this is the cost. It costs money. All of these things cost money. The other thing is, is that, um, you know, we're all human beings. So every judge, every GAL, every psychiatrist is going to be looking at this from the standpoint of their life experiences and their prejudices. And I don't necessarily use that in, in a terribly negative term. No, but it's absolutely true. You know, that's yeah. what we do. So you mentioned yeah. training of judges, but there's a, there's not a lot of training that can be required for judges. There's a certain number of, of CMEs that they have to take, continuing education, rather. Um, but I understand, and I could be wrong here, that, in fact, in each state, um, there, it's very difficult to mandate what that continuing education will be in. Um, and if it is mandated to have some sort of domestic violence training, it's usually brief, and there's no mandate on who should provide that training. Um, um, Heather, if I may, if I'm still online on, sure, on the yeah, call, yeah. if I may introduce a book. Um, thank you. This is actually regarded as a bench book. I'm not sure. Um, Judge Arkin also spoke a lot about uh, properly being trained, um, the judges being properly trained with uh, re- regards to domestic violence or, or just accusations, how one spouse uses the yes, other. We have I'm sorry, seconds, uses the so court. This is called, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm sorry, Domestic Violence, Abuse, and Child Custody. It's the Legal Strategies and Policy Issues. It's by Mo Teresa Hanna and uh, oh, Barry Goldstein. Yes, yes, yes. It's an yeah, Mohan is a great expert uh, along yes, with Barry Goldstein. These are, okay. exactly, these are very... Experts, these, it's got like 10 different yeah. 
Um, it, yes. It's just thank something you, Paula, for bringing have. that up. We've thank only you. got one minute left, and I still want to cover stuff. So thank you very much for that. Thank you. Um, and uh, Mohanna's books, Barry Goldstein's books, are available online. They are pricey, though, so you might want to see if your library can order them for you. Now, the other uh, point that I wanted to make was that we mentioned demeanor, and I think that that's huge, a huge issue, and we really didn't get a chance to talk about that. Um, so if you come back, I really hope that we have a chance to talk about those issues, Judge Arkin. And thank you so much for being on uh, the program and answering the questions. And um, I will uh, get back to you after the show is over, and we will see if we can schedule another time for this. Callers, thank you so much. For those of you that I, I was not able to get to, I apologize, and hopefully we can do it this again. I often our show with a quote, and this time the quote is from uh, a gentleman called Charles T. T. Sprading, Freedom and Its Fundamentals. Although the legal and ethical definitions of right are the antithesis of each other, most writers use them as synonyms. They confuse power with goodness and mistake law for justice. Thank you for joining us. Be back next week on uh, Three Women, Three Ways. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Judge Arkin.